Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. We are back. We are so happy to to see you again this week. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And we're so uh, we're happy to be with you. Thank you for uh, for downloading us and uh, listening, letting us into your ear holes. And and if you are watching the video feed, watching, uh, letting us into your eye holes. Um, and, uh, you know, taking advantage of this technology, uh, we, we, that's what, that's what we are doing, Ryan. We are on the cutting edge. We are doing what we are doing, what few people have ever done. And that is two guys having a podcast about movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, no, we, no, we are, we are in it. We are, uh, taking advantage of technology so that we can, uh, connect with you, our dear listener and, um, and, 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 and spreading joy and love, I guess, I guess that's what we're trying to do. Um, how you doing, Ryan? Pretty good. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Anything we want to talk about before we jump into our uh, our technological topic? I don't think so. If, you, if yeah, you're uh, into survival movies, I, I strongly recommend you go back to whatever it was, 1998 or so, and, and watch uh, David Mamet and Lee Tomahori's The Edge with Anthony Hopkins and, and Alec Baldwin. That Alec Baldwin. holds up. That movie holds up really, really good. <laughs> what inspired that watch um i watched that and uh the a film that came out the same time the peacemaker which was the first ever dreamworks movie uh and that was the george clooney film right yeah when he was still on Mm -hmm. er you know so Mm -hmm. george clooney and nicole kidman but that's a really good like Tom Clancy esque, it's not great. Neither of these movies are great movies, but mm-hmm. really, really good. Better than their than their middling reputations probably suggest. I think um, Peacemaker's very, like I say, Clancy esque hunt for stolen nuclear weapons. Um, Clooney is not comfortable in his own skin. He's he's making ten or twelve actorly choices per line reading in that film <laughs> but it's fun to watch a young ambitious version of him in mm-hmm. a big screen film which he you know was not asked or allowed to do very often back then he was about to be that he was about to transition into that full time and that's fun and nicole is fantastic and then and, and nicole kidman's character is great in it you know she's this person who's like the we 
especially male writers, we've talked about this phenomenon on the show, right? So we, we create these women that are like super women and they're perfect. And that's kind of how we honor women. You know, I don't think that's a flaw necessarily or something we have to fix, but we do tend to do that when we're writing for them or we just make, and that's a type of fantasy, but where we just make a fantasy out of them. So we're, yeah. they're all femme fatales or whatever. And these are the two schools that, just a lot of writing falls into one category or another throughout time. And this, the, the woman in this film is, I mean, the movie makes a point to put her in over her head, but she's not, she's not incapable of rising to the challenge, you know, and yet she's a woman. She has a, a appropriate emotional breakdown when she's looking at the profiles of the soldiers that at one point during the film, she sends literally, to their deaths for this higher cause. She's never done that before. So she's right. feeling the weight of that. And she has a real emotion, a genuine emotional reaction to it that a, a male character wouldn't be allowed to in this kind of movie. But in the, I think in the world wouldn't indulge because men are kind of taught to be a different something. Yeah. And, and that's very earnest and it doesn't take away from her power. So I found, you know, or her skill or her intelligence, like it's, it's a thing that complements the character, you know, and mm -hmm. having a character go through those things complements the movie. So it's, it's can be a little bit of a cheesy movie, but it's, it's, it's spooky. It's a very real thing yeah. that, you know, that, that maybe wouldn't happen in such a sensationalistic Hollywood sort of way, but they're very much, could have happened and it's very dangerous and scary and and it's got a fantastic you know some fa really fantastic action in it and stuff so I, for as far as techno thrillers go it's top notch and then the edge is totally different obviously the edge is just a a, a billionaire and part of a little little part of his entourage go down in the alaskan wilderness mm -hmm. and have to find their way out it's it's a standard survival film you know it 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 prominently features our our favorite bear performer bart the bear good old bart the bear yeah and bart the bear it's his most ferocious performance on screen and he's he's had his moments throughout film history yeah. no doubt you know he, he's the only well, i remember yeah i remember him talking about how he had to go to some dark places to get to get into that place he's a place of um, relentless bloodthirsty character in it and yeah. and is is really amazing in it and, it, and it's what but what i really love about it uh, even though donald mcalpine the great cinematographer lee tamahori the new zealand the kiwi director um shooting outdoors in the wilderness i mean that's mcalpine's probably the it's a lot of people that are really good at it but in terms of cold stark places he also filmed medicine man down in southern mexico another largely outdoor affair where you know where all your tricks all your artificial lighting and stuff like none of that can help you out there. So yeah, to be yeah. a cinematographer in that setting takes uh, a real photographer's eye and, and it's, he's, it's incredible job by him. And, uh, and it's, it, and mammoth's dialogue, man. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was a mammoth. Uh, that was mammoth. Yeah. But a once you bit. know that it is, of course it is. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I haven't seen it since it came since, you know, probably when it came out on video. Yeah. It's uh, you know. it's out on Blu-ray now and it probably is streamable someplace. It was a Fox picture mm -hmm. um, and in high definition in widescreen. It just it'll take your most of it will just take your breath away. And it's very exciting. But what keeps you coming back to it is these two to completely different characters embodied by these two completely different kinds of actors reading this mammoth dialogue yeah. and having the having the the metaphor right there on the surface for you to enjoy um it's uh, that part of it is delightful for a cinema fan you know it may yeah. may not it may feel a little cold or it may feel a little inhuman to people who aren't used to mammoth but i love it i because yeah. it's it's about it's about you know what it is to be a, a human and the what you know what our willpower is and all this and they they suffer every kind of indignity and failure and frustration the the key theme to it is anthony hopkins says it in the film because you know what they say is that most people trapped in the wilds uh don't don't die of this or that they die of shame <laughs> um shame that they didn't do the right thing or that they, this or that right. he's basically saying they give up. That's how it, yeah. that's how it goes yeah. down. Whatever takes them in the end is, is irrelevant to the idea that you die of shame. And it, that's a powerful thing that gets explored very deeply in it. So it's, it's, it's just much better than what you remember. Cause of course you remember the bear attacks and the excitement and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe, you know, the, like the, uh, spoiler alert i guess the plane crash but the the that stuff's all amazing but it's the it's the way these ideas get explored by a very very strong writer of ideas mm -hmm. between these two sort of world-class actors playing this playing these completely different personalities it just really keeps the thing buoyant the whole time in a great way so we got to put some feelers out and see i, I would love to have a to talk with a cinematographer like a someone who's doing it at a high level sometime we got to put out in feelers and see who we know call <laughs> in some favors yeah because it's yeah that would be that would be a fun i love i love talking cinematography and structure of shots and the yeah it's to um, me it's still a mystery because i fundamentally <laughs> don't understand i shouldn't say fundamentally because i do in theory, understand it a little bit, but I don't really appreciate and understand lighting. And of course, that's the big, that's the, there's a lot that yeah. goes into cinematography, but that's the big thing that, that that's the one thing that it's a guarantee that you are the best person on the set at this particular thing, at the manipulation of light and how it's going to affect everything. Mm -hmm. And and that's the part that fascinates me because that's the part that's magic, like composition yeah. and there's all the lenses and even like I've learned a lot about that through the ages. I can certainly learn more, but lighting is it how light works and how you can put it on film or even video these days. Yeah. And, and and that sense that you know once it's gone through all these filters and once you've color corrected it and you know what it's gonna look like, that's a 
that's an astounding that's, magical sorcerer like talent that I just will that's, never. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, and I, I, I'm not even going to profess to know as much as you because that was it was a big part of your job was knowing some of the technical elements for for many years. That was that was something that you did, but I mean, even just when I'm when I'm editing fun stuff on video, whether it's the show or um, some of you know some other stuff for for different jobs. Um, I went and got these, you know, I got, went and got this LUT pack that was based on movies that, you know, like literally they're kind of like, oh, one, this one's called Cohen. And it's just kind of like, and it color, it automatically colors what you're shoot, what, what you're editing in that Cohen brothers esque you know, that, that, the, the, that palette to that, that tone. And, I, and, and it just, and going through like, this is, you know, sort of an alien tone and this is a, you know, greatest showman tone and all the, you know, the, a lot of movies that have very distinct looks, um, uh, you know, Wes Anderson films and say, you know, they, they, and you can color, you know, color correct all the stuff digitally based on these movies. And, and it's just really fun. Some of it is really impractical and you don't, you know, you don't end up going with it, but it's really, it's fun to, just sort of like oh yeah that's definitely um that yeah that is that makes it does that indeed makes it look like that kind of film and um yeah and i'm trying to remember there was another like maybe it was maybe it was jonathan demi in an interview or something like that but he was talking about like talking with a cinematographer and i don't remember if it was tak fujimoto or whoever it was but it was like I was explaining the scene and, and, and explaining the mood of what we're going to be, what we're going to be shooting is like, ah, yes. And then he just goes and starts pulling out all his red gels and red filters and things like that. And it was like, oh yeah. Cause he knew exactly how it needed to look and what he needed to do to, to, uh, to get that, to get that look. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. For sure. Well, cool. 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 Um, as I told Ryan the other day, I am uh, taking a trip in the in the Wayback Machine uh, to the pre-pandemic era and finally catching up on FX's Legion. And it's great. It's really moody and it takes its time and I kind of dig it. Um, it's very weird in a, in a very off-putting and threatening sort of way. And, and yeah. it, it, it's that's Legion was an extraordinary show when it was on. Yeah. And it and I, it I is liked it quite a bit. I mean, and, and literally, there is not a reliable uh, narrator anywhere to be found. So really. everything, it, everything that you're seeing, you're like, you have to pay attention because you're like, I don't know if this is real. I don't know where we are, when we are, who we are seeing. That you know, it's it's and it's really uh, yeah, it's great. It's well, and great. what it does more than anything, it's along the same lines. Is it it it's we're preconditioned to sympathize with different through lines through narratives one way or another, just based on the sort of repetition that we've experienced in them throughout our lives that are very comforting and what, and Legion really turns that on yeah. end and really, really challenges you to ask questions about what you're seeing and how you're feeling when you're experiencing some of this stuff. And that's, that's a bold experiment. There's very few 
Mm-hmm. Maybe this in this moment or that moment, but there's very few oft celebrated things for because they you know because Breaking Bad is about an antihero. But you've seen hundred antihero stories. Yeah, this yeah. Is, this is something different. This is a mm-hmm. an experiment that of the mind where there's so much rationalization going on amongst our heroes and our villains that and they're they're in such an it's an extra they're in such an extraordinary set of circumstances that the way they justify the things they feel and the things they do are interesting and it makes us it challenges the viewer and viewers yeah. don't like even when i was watching legion like i can sympathize because I, I don't like to be challenged you know when i watch something like peacemaker or the edge. I am not challenged in this way at all. That we are used yeah. to be some version of these kinds of stories, and the joy is watching how a new person puts the pieces of the puzzle together for us. Legion, something different. I don't know how. I don't know if the comics are or what, but yeah. I, I just, it's something different. It's and that, and that, that alone sets it apart from everything. What was that other show we talked about? That uh, what's his face did the. Um, with uh, Sally Field that and uh, it came out right kind yeah. of at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the something society thing. Um, it was a good show. I mean, it, it was another. Yeah, it's Jason Siegel, and right. it was I'll look his, it up right now. clearly yeah. his show, like his brainchild. Um, it that show's not, I don't think it's quite as brilliant as Legion because it doesn't have as broad a canvas to paint on, but dispatches dispatches from elsewhere. Yeah. But another show that really makes you, that really, it really shocks you out of your chair. It, it, when you think, you know what it is you're watching and that you understand what you're seeing and experiencing and it, it's something else and something more. I love that. And that's what I love about Legion. You're not done with Legion, so I can't go totally into nope. it. But nope. uh but man, it's just something totally different and unique. What did um uh what's her face on the show? What's her name? The actor's name. Uh, um well, are we talking about uh Gene Smart or no, are we talking about the No, the main person, the main chick on the show. I can't remember her name. She's really famous um, now. Yes, it is. Um, she, she was on Conan. She goes on Conan a lot. And those were fun days back in the uh, Team Coco days. Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, yeah, Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey she, Plaza, yeah. She, she doesn't... She's weird. If you ever watch an interview with her, she's a genuinely weird person. That's what's delightful about her. Her weirdness mm-hmm. comes across <laughs> on screen, too, which is what's fun about her as an actor. But she's not... She's never been some normal kid who's just doing this sort of stuff. She's a, she's a different sort of person, which is really fun. But she doesn't she like she'll do these interviews and have fun with them, but she's has more fun when she's joking around. When she actually has to explain to the audience what Legion is and why they should be watching it, <laughs> yeah. which is her job <clears throat> when you're going on these shows. She it, she's not she proved repeatedly throughout the run of the show incapable of doing that. She would just say, "Yeah. Um buckle up." <laughs> yep she had these little um, catchphrases you break out that was just like i don't know what it is you all figure it out you know it just shows you that it's yeah. it's something else it's something totally different aubrey have you gotten to her um hepburn like dance sequence yet 
Uh, well, a couple of them. Yeah. The, the one, the big dance off in the club with uh, Jermaine Clement and uh, Dan Stevens and her. Uh, it, then there was it, the one where, then there's the, 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 the fun one where she and Jermaine Clement are, are, are walking through yeah. uh, singing. Um, it's, it's, I love it. It's out uh, there. And yeah. It just goes. For uh, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's got, it's also got one of uh, one of the Ryan Harris things that he loves staples is uh you know yeah dance sequences and music sequence and non-musical sure well and it has this weird recurring motif of like instructional videos too it's it's got this yeah yeah. it's got all this all these little tricks and gizmos that it falls back on but none of that Uh would matter if there wasn't something involving and kind of in this case really terrifying at the soul of it which keeps you on edge the whole time you're watching it as enjoyable as some of it can be yep. um I, legions really really good super yeah. good I, remember, I i'm reading this book by uh mike sure uh creator of parks and rec and good place and stuff mm-hmm. and he he was talking about luck and he was like because he was talking about all the the luck that happened to him in in his whole career and he was like and i was Get, you know, putting together my, you know, my first show and get this random, you know, get a, a call from the casting agent who had randomly just seen this young woman come in for her very first audition in LA and said, you need to take a look at this chick. Cause she is unlike anything you have ever, <laughs> you've ever experienced before. And I think I think she's going to, it's right up your alley. And, and it was Aubrey Plaza. And, of course and Aubrey's not one to toot her own horn either, but her history, even before she was an actor, was an extraordinary one uh, yeah. of activism and act, academic achievement and stuff. And it's all this stuff where to look at her or to only know her through her characters, you'd find her actual life to be hard to imagine. And mm-hmm. that's... Uh, it's a person living things to the fullest. It's really, really admirable and awesome. She's a, she's Aubrey really is everything she's cracked up to be. And she's great on. Yep. on and she, yeah, she's really great on Legion. Cause yeah, he, yeah, it's, it's really terrific. Um, all right. Speaking of things that are really terrific and not always what they seem. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> I know it's not bad. Um, today's main topic: we, uh, uh, I hinted at at the top, talking about how we love technology and how technology is great and could never possibly do anything bad for us, um, except when it does. It is here uh, purely to serve us. It is here to serve to make um, things easier so, for us. That's nice. Yeah. So uh, today we are going to be, it's kind of a countdown. We're calling it a countdown, but we are going to take a look at some of the scariest artificial intelligence ever in film. Here comes the countdown. Okay. At least one of those voices you just heard is a scary artificial intelligence. I don't Indeed. think it, I don't think it ultimately ended up on our list, but that's okay. No, no. Um it's a different sort but, of list, Joel. It's not even technically a countdown. This this list, as you'd expect, was sort of foisted upon us. 
Right. So if we seem at odds a little bit from time to time with our own list, let's just say that it's an outside force sort of generated this list. Am I, am I being correct when I say this? Well, you are. Yeah. I mean, we, um, so we, you know, uh, as some people, you know, devised, we were, um, we were off last week. We had pre-recorded the show. Um, and, uh, and then through that show last week, uh, talking about some of the shows that we didn't do, the topic of scariest AI, which is actually an early topic that that Ryan uh, had come up with. So we started like, hey, maybe we should do that. And then I was um, I was doing some maintenance um, on the Tickertainment Trend Tracker, uh, uh, you know, because you got to keep these things, uh, you know, fun we, try, we talked we about it last week, too. We wanted to get back mm-hmm. into doing more B segments and stuff. So, so I was, I was updating it and, 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 um, doing some, uh, doing some updated programming on it. And, um, and, and as we were working on it, it, it uh, you know, it, suddenly it you know i was inputting all of this data uh you know for for scariest ais and stuff like that and so then the um uh the tickertainment trend tracker started uh coming back with you know with uh, all of this options uh you know all of these different ais that have been throughout and and some of them they you know some of them the the tracker was saying that yeah that I, I you know it considers this a scary one and to which i was saying you know you might even I, say I, it insisted that these were the scary ones that we should talk sure about. sure sure yeah and so uh, all right let me uh let me fire this thing up on here and uh okay um all right now we can uh let's see the first one here uh, all right, let's uh, ticker Tim a trend tracker. Who is our first one here that we're right? Okay, um, so the first one that we're going to be talking about is uh, the four. The movie is called The Forbin Project, also known as Colossus: The Forbin Project, from 1970, and the AI is is was a defense system called Colossus. I I have not seen this movie. Have you seen this movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. And until just two years ago, I used to think it was called Colossus, the Forbidden Project. Uh, (laughs) At some uh, point, probably in my youth, I saw that video on a shelf. I read it that way and have just... I just thought that was the title of it all this time. I'm looking at the poster. I'm looking at the poster and it looks like Colossus... It, you're absolutely because right, the type on it and the way it's set sort of looks like the Forbidden Planet. Yeah, kind of looks like that. So it does mm-hmm. not surprise. I, I, uh, I, you know, you have nothing to be chided about. It makes perfect human, sense. Human, you know, uh, error. Like human eyes see what they want to see sometimes, and it's hard to change our minds. So yeah, we're inferior to artificial intelligences in a lot of ways. That would be one of them. Yeah. Oh, what's that tracker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it says you know it. Yeah. Yeah, no uh, doubt. So anyway, Colossus the Forbin Project, um, or as it's known in the whole world other than America, the Forbin Project. Frankly, if it didn't have the colonized American name, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have messed it up quite so bad. But it's a. Uh, it's 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 a fantastic movie. It's 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 it starts out with this really kind of awesome. Like first of all, it's a 1970 idea of what a computer is, which yeah. is 
you know, and the biggest, most powerful computer would, of course, take up a whole city block because that's how we envisioned these things. And frankly, right. if you wanted, could you have been able to create a, a, a say an iPhone's worth of technology in 1969? You would it would have taken up a full city block. That that right. the to make a computer chip capable of doing those sorts of things, it would have been gigantic. So it's not. It, it feels real and it feels authentic for the time, which is one thing that's really, really neat. Lots of really, really cool production design and lots of really, it's just, it's one of those great movies. That's a story of ideas, but Colossus who we, and this is a recurring theme. I mean, this is the recurring theme really of this massive list that we have here. You know, they turn it on and it starts getting its own ideas about how best to defend us. And mm -hmm. And, but what's really great about it is the way the film demonstrates its invasion into our, the intimate parts of our lives and how it's capable of, while it's watching the Eastern Bloc for aggressive military movements, it can also just be hanging out in your living room with you, observing you hitting on your date. And, it, and that is what's disturbing about it. And our scientist heroes and all these people, they've, they know they've gone wrong pretty much right away. And, and I won't ruin it for you, but can they stop this thing? Are there, are we, this is our last chance to take control of our own destiny. Are we yeah. going to be able to do it? Are the, is the best of our best enough to, stop this thing once once we've given it authority over the defense of our lives and just our lives in general our right. vitamin intake and all the things this thing has an opinion about are very creepy and yeah i, I highly recommend this film to fans of 70s science fiction cinema yeah it we're gonna do a 70s sci-fi pair of shows at some point here this year probably mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we do that we'll we'll revisit this in a little bit more detail but colossus is like lots of great AI. He's super polite. He really, truly does have our best interest at heart. It just, mm -hmm. if we're just not at a certain point, we're not allowed to disagree with that, with right. his, with his plans for us. And that is, a, that's a terrifying thing that is very, very relevant in our lives today. Yeah. Um. All right. The second one is, uh, mm -hmm. Right. The second one is from 19. Okay. Yeah. It's from 1977. This is a favorite um, of the ticker. Yeah. Yeah. It, this one. Reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah it, this, it's called the demon seed. Um, this is Julie Christie. And, and Fritz uh, in this, Weaver. And, and Fritz Weaver. Uh, and our, you know, and our, um, our artificial intelligence name is Proteus 4. So Proteus 4 is an experimental artificial intelligence that has not gone online globally yet, but that scientist Fritz Weaver is essentially given the run of his home. So some mm -hmm. similar themes here. Proteus becomes obsessed with the doctor's young newlywed wife, played by Julie Christie, um, who's a fantastic actor, and she's really, really good in this. She's got a you know, she's got to act with a script person basically behind camera throughout the film. And it, it, this is a film whose 
interactions were very, very much added late later, you know, in post-production. That's always a really mm-hmm. hard thing to pull off. Julie Christie gets a lot of credit for Dr. Zhivago and some other things and for being the sort of it girl of her era because she's just so incredibly gorgeous. But she, she's so, and you've seen her when she kind of came out of retirement in older age, you've seen her. She sat out middle age. From a Hollywood ingenue like standpoint from of her generation, that's a great time to not be bothering to do any movies. And once you're an old <laughs> right. lady again, welcome back. We'll have a we have a place for you. But you're either young and hot or old and funny. There's we there's only a few people. It's much, much better today, but honestly from Mm -hmm. her generation there's only a handful of people who were able to make the 50s and 60s sort of work for them she's great in this proteus becomes obsessed with her way too involved in her proteus basically stalks her and makes her prisoner in her own home it's a it's a high concept home invasion movie really and it's very sick and very creepy and very disturbing and it's well played by all and the ideas are and yet it's not cheap and exploitative the way it might have been you know when you read the tag lines on the poster and you sort of look at it, you're like you know i don't watch that but it it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a thoughtful movie with a with a great sort of late 60s early 70s um shocker in store for you you know like if if you think along the lines of how planet of the apes ends and you're you're on the right track so, <laughs> yeah so it's yep. So I, I, I like Demon Seed too. That's a good one. And mm-hmm. very similar to Proteus and that the things that are scary about it are very similar to Colossus. Sorry. Ugh, try not to get my names mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> that won't help you guys at all. I apologize. But <laughs> right. Proteus 4 and Colossus have, you know, even though Colossus is given the run of it all and Proteus is really just contained in this home, um, the, the, it's, it, it's the fact that they are in our homes and in charge of us and that we're prisoners to them. That is what's scary. And both yeah. films pull that off in different ways that are kind of neat. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that one yet either. Good. Stuff. Um, good stuff. All right. This next one though, uh, we're going to go a little bit, uh, a little bit back in time, uh, from, from, uh, Demon Seed, uh, to the, the, the one that it, this has had a major resurgence, but the one that started it, uh, the 1973 version, yep, 1973 version of Westworld and Yul Brenner as the gunslinger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, the Westworld. I mean, everyone. I mean, if you watch the HBO film, it's that the the you know it's that general idea of this is an amusement park with with AI. It's you know, a fantasy uh, vacation. Fantasy. Land. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's vacation. Not, land. I mean, they, it's like an amusement park, but it just it isn't really when you think about yeah. it. It's it's more it's than a, that. It's a it's, it's an a immersive giant, experience. Yeah. It's a live-in resort. Yeah. And in yeah. Westworld, they. The the TV show we won't get into that in this. We'll no. stick with just the this very simple idea that Crichton had back in the early seventies. Um, Westworld's one of them. There's medieval world where you can go live in a castle. There's uh, it's a couple more. I don't remember the other. Hey, let's see. There is. Um, but Westworld mm-hmm. is the one where our, our heroes, played by Richard Benderman, 
Richard Benjamin and James Berlin are a couple of very well-to-do, uh, this wasn't a thing yet, but yuppies, basically, who are going on this very expensive vacation to this fantasy land. Benjamin's, or sorry, Brolin's been there before and he's taken his buddy for a week of, you know, sleeping with old saloon hookers and getting drunk and gunning down robots. And it's okay if you beat the hookers and it's okay if you kill the bad guys because they're just, they're just robots. Mm -hmm. They look uh, real. Roman world is the other one. Roman world. Is the Roman other world. One. Right. That's yeah. right. That's very appropriate. All right. Um, yep. so, <laughs> so the, and the, this main robot baddies played by Yul Brenner and iconically dressed exactly like his magnificent seven character, but with no personality whatsoever with this robotic personality. And yet he has this evil smile. It can't be denied. Brenner's fantastic in this part. Um, yep. like really, really good. And our, our, the two guys are pretty great in it too. So, you know, it's a Michael Crichton novel. It's about an amusement park. And of course, everything in the amusement, I don't have to just, we don't have to talk all about it. This will also be in our 70s sci-fi show more in more detail. But, um, you know, it's funny when Michael Crichton died a few years ago, God rest his soul, he gave us a lot of really cool stories. But they actually found uh, an unfinished but almost finished novel of his. And it was, Joel, it was really unique in that it was, it turned out it was about an amusement park where everything goes right. Oh, well, there you go. That would be so that'd be awesome. Well, at some point, maybe yeah, we'll see yeah, that. Yeah, where it's like, you, yeah, you, you probably all this cool stuff in a family, probably with kids. And but you're like, date, oh, boy, what's going to happen? And then the kids are like, we had a great time. In his non-posthumously released novels, his amusement parks, things go terribly, terribly wrong. And yeah. you can imagine how this one goes wrong as well. And it's, it's wonderful. It's a simple elegant action slash sort of high concept horror film really. And it, and it delivers on that in a really great way. And of course the ideas behind it, the basic idea made for a launching off point for a very much more muddled and complex mm -hmm. uh, discussion over, you know, what, humans really are and what we are to each other and stuff that's that's what the tv shows about it's very but yeah yeah more interesting but this is really just you made these robots and you made them capable of like shooting at you and stuff and now now just one of them just had its own one simple idea that you programmed it to have which is to go after that guy and what are you going to do and it just makes everything fall apart and it's right it's great it's a great mix of futuristic sci-fi with with you know like in the in the tradition of star trek where i mean star trek visited visited one week they visited the medieval planet and one week yep. they visited the cowboy planet and one week they visited the roman planet and the greek planet and the reason for that of course is those were the sets that they had in storage that's as simple as that <laughs> yeah it really is as simple as that battlestar galactica in its early going did the Do same thing doctor who does the same sure. thing yeah. right so there's a very practical reason for why we examine those different things in these sort of stories but the trick it's not it's you're not getting slapped for for 
for that. What, the trick is, how do we make that work? How do we hang a science fiction idea on that? And right. Crichton, Crichton does it as good as anybody, as you can imagine. Yeah, he absolutely, he absolutely. And he directed the film and himself, too, which is significant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, no, we can move on. We can move on. Okay, what do we got here? Sure. Okay, the next one is uh, The Terminator. Um, and of course, all of the Terminators from 1984 are products of a larger AI that gains sentience, and that is Skynet. Yeah, I don't even really consider. I mean, I guess Terminator 2 sort of flips the script, but I, I, I think the Terminator movies beyond the first one suck for all the same reasons, which is because they all missed the point basically terminator right. 2 is a one-trick pony where they do a reversal and they essentially just make the same movie again with the roles mm -hmm. changed around that's clever that's james cameron sort of reinventing his own thing but right. skynet was never scary after that i mean even in terminator 3 which has a really bleak wonderful 70s style twist ending which i admire very much it the film doesn't quite live up to that, unfortunately, or right. earn that the way it should. Um, but Skynet itself is is the idea of it is very scary. It's basically just Colossus. It's it's a defense mainframe mm -hmm. that um, that that becomes sentient, and when they try and shut it down, it, it essentially uses the its defense powers to declare war on every human on the planet. And that's a terrifying idea in the nuclear age. And that, that bleak, that just unrelentingly bleak and ugly bone filled future that Cameron shows us in that first Terminator film, which again, they've tried to revisit that place several times throughout the other movies. They never come close to achieving anything that actually is that you know mm -hmm. and they've they've had they've resurrected our hero from the terminator or our ostensible hero our traditional hero the soldier sent from the future back to protect this woman they've they've recreated him several ways and then never to the same degree that he's this absolutely fried his nerves are fried and frazzled from only living in fight back survival mode for his entire young life yeah, you know they try and you bring him in to future films, and you, and he's just this guy who just talks like the rest of us and acts like that. I mean, that's not him. You missed. You're missing the whole point of the thing, and you're missing mm -hmm. the whole horror of Skynet because of it. Skynet's terrifying. They are yeah. on a mission to exterminate. You know, which that just the term exterminate reminds me of another AI that didn't get on this list somehow. I don't sure how. I guess the, I guess the. Uh, Ticker well, we, trackers, you know. Well, we didn't. Uh, well, exterminate. Which are you Next talking day, about? The Dallas. Yeah, the the, the Dallas. But technically, they're not. A, they were. We we kept to movies. Oh. Um. So that's why. Uh, All right. That's why. Um. Is that right? Entertainment. Is it? Is that correct? Uh. Is that? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. We didn't need a full explanation. Okay. I'm just asking. All right. right. Yeah, I guess that is right. right. Uh, all right. So next one is another movie that I have not seen. It's the movie is uh, from 1990. It's called Hardware. Um, and uh, this is the Mark 13. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mark 13 is just killing machine. Hardware is an interesting movie. Um, Richard Stanley directed this. Again, a really, really bleak cyberpunk sort of version of the future, but a very post-apocalyptic, there's not a lot of people around sort of future. That's how you do the future on a budget, which mm-hmm. hardware very much is. It's one of my favorite scenes in the office is, is what's his face? So can't tell these stories when I don't remember the characters. But. <laughs> uh, Dwight Schrute, I'm guessing. No, it isn't. It's 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 uh, it's the other guy. It's that sweet corporate management guy who is into really bad horror movies. We all know people like this, and he's right. dating our receptionist character, whose name I also can't remember. From... Yeah, Jim and Pam. No. Oh. Um, the. Who's... Corporate liaison between their corporate overlords that buys them out and the newer receptionist with the red hair. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um. Uh, it, so it's it's Ellie Kemper plays the receptionist, and yes. the dude is oh, what is his name? Yeah, but you know who I'm talking about now. Yeah. At least. Sorry, mm-hmm. America, but it's tough for me. <laughs> um, I mean, I knew who I was talking about. It's tough for me to find the words sometimes to describe them. But Joel, Joel got there. Thank goodness. Yep. Um, anyway, I, sorry, long story short, there's this great hardware reference in the office where he's like trying to pit. And if anyone who knows hardware knows that this is this horrible thing that he's doing, but he's into these grisly, awful films for some reason. And he's trying to explain to, to Ellie's character that she's going to like that he picked hardware for her because she liked Wally. And this is kind of like that. It's got a little bit of what you like and a little bit of what I like. And of course it has none of what she likes in it. It's going to be an awful traumatic, horrible evening for her sitting there watching this movie. And if you know mm-hmm. hardware, you know, that's where this is going. So oh my uh, God, that's funny. Dylan McDermott is a, is out, searching for scraps that he can sell at pawn shops or different tech firms to make a living. And he stumbles across this old sort of half put together thing, which mm-hmm. he can't get a uh, burgle cut from Willow to give him any money for Mark Northover, I believe is the actor's <laughs> name. So, so he brings it home, you know, when he's going to hang out with his girlfriend for the evening and kind of leaves it with her and by some weird happenstance it comes back to life and it what it is is this military kill bot basically yeah. and it and she's in her apartment and she's got to f- fight for survival with this thing until help comes along or will will help ever come along it's it's hard to say it's 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 not AI the way we think of it. It doesn't have a conversations with her. It just wants to kill everything and was best left out in the desert to never be found, really. And the robot has this patriotic sort of paint job on it that gives it <laughs> gives it a lot of personality where there isn't room for a lot in the design of it. Uh, Hardware is an interesting movie. It's not fun night at the movies. It's torturous. It's really violent and awful film, but, but that's what it's selling. And, if, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it is, it is fairly accomplished in my opinion. So it originally had a rated X rating for its violence and gore. It's uh, intense. But they, mm-hmm, it's but they intense. And it. I can't remember the name of the woman actress, Nancy Travis. She's really Stacy. Stacy. Stacy Travis. She's the she's the star of the show. I mean, she's the one that has to do all the hard work. All the guys mm-hmm. in the movie get to just 
look cool in trench coats and goggles and have these super cool conversations. <laughs> she's the one that's got to battle it out with the robot for the whole film. And it's, it's, she's a, she's, she's a tough cookie. She would have to be, yeah. <laughs> or there'd be no movie. So it's, I'm impressed with that too. Uh, okay. Next up is, uh, from the movie. Sat- Wait, did I not get, Oh, I didn't put this one in here. Hold on a second. Uh, I didn't have the tab up. I'm sorry. Oops. It's okay. It's fun to listen to you type. type. Yep. Uh, this is from Saturn 13. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, Saturn 3. Saturn 3. Saturn 3. Saturn 3. Uh, and it is uh, the Hector is our um, is our AI. On a list of super perverted robots, of which there are several on this list. We've already just mentioned one. Hector, he's not the scariest, but he's definitely the most perverted, and he gets special points for that. Somewhere on Saturn 3, Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett are living this ideal life where they're finding ways to create um, g- the growth of sustenance. Basically, they're, 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 they're testing ways to farm in space because there's major food shortages on Earth and elsewhere. And Farah has never seen Earth before. She was born in space. She's really only known a handful of people. Kirk Douglas, it's very demonstrably shown in the film that he's more or less taken advantage of this and they're mated together. And in fact, this is films of one of a kind, you guys. If you've never seen Saturn <laughs> 3, it's hard to explain the vibe of the thing. Um, it was supposed to be directed and was designed by a famous production designer, John Barry, but he was out of his depth as a director and producer, Stanley Donan, of Singing in the Rain fame, took over this thing. There's no mark of Singing in the Rain here, but it's funny how, for a film whose ideas are so ugly and terrible... The film's actually rather lively and fun and like a sort of easy to digest 70s kind of way. Uh, somewhere on some starship, some uh, pilot gets denied his his exploration license because of being too psychotic or not passing the psychological makeup test. He kills a different pilot. This guy's played by Har- Harvey Keitel, although he speaks with Ray Detrice's voice. Really? Which is the second weirdest. Harvey Keitel talking with Ray Detrice coming out is not quite as weird, but almost as weird as Andy McDowell talking and Glenn Close's voice coming out, which is the only time I can think of. There have been lots of overdubs throughout time. Lizette Anthony speaking with Lindsay Krause's voice. That's weird. But Glenn Close and Andy McDowell are so famous, and what they sound like are so... We know mm-hmm. what it is. We might not have known what it was in 1984, but now we know. Uh, you may not recognize Roy Detrice's voice, but it isn't Harvey Keitel. And it's so strange watching those two things link up together. But that strangeness makes it exciting. Harvey Keitel, if you don't know who he is, uh, you're truly listening to the wrong podcast. Roy Detrice, though, it's sort of fair for you not to know who he is. He play, very famously played... Uh, Amadeus's dad in Amadeus. That's probably his mm-hmm. most well-known role. He was the patriarch of the underground romantic s- society in TV's Beauty and the Beast. He was the grumpy Russian skating coach in Cutting Edge. If that doesn't get you there, 
Uh, you know, the, I, it gets more and more obscure yeah. after that. Um, I mean, uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, <laughs> King <laughs> Baylor. Right. 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 Fantastic actor. And it's just weird. It, he just doesn't look anything like Harvey Keitel and Harvey Keitel doesn't sound anything like Roy DeTrice. And, but there's this great line where Roy DeTrice is like, I really, he says to Farrah Fawcett, he's like, I really, he says what we're all thinking. He's like, I really like your body and, you know, would like to mate with you or whatever. <laughs> he just comes out and says it. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm with whatever the, whoever the old guy. And she's and and he's like, for his consumption only? That's his response. He's appalled. <laughs> On Earth, that's illegal. So it's for that kind of movie. It's a it's a joke. Oh, and if God. you wanted to play it seriously, Harvey Keitel and even Farrah Fawcett, who's all, you know, she's playing the reality of the situation. But Kirk Douglas, it, it got, and I love Kirk Douglas, but he's incapable of playing this without irony. So his whole time, he's sort of undermining the ideas in it. Keitel brings along this robot with this huge metal body and this tiny little head. Mm. And later in the film, in ways too convoluted to explain, Keitel's spirit gets melded with this thing and he's just this stalking guy. He wants to kill the guy and he wants to get with the girl. And that's a rather, that's spooky enough when it's Harvey Keitel in like a leather spacesuit. It's, it's triply scary when it's this robot who walks like Harvey Keitel, but talks like Roy Detrice and is, is trying to mate with this <laughs> Charlie's angels on the Saturn three in space. It's, it's a crazy movie, and I love it. I, it's terrible, but it's a lovably, wonderful, terrible film. So check it out. Wow. Yeah. Hector. Was... Hector. Hector. Hector, like, tries uh... to kill. Hector's the the robot. Well, I won't. He's coming up yeah. later, but. Are you? Are you? He hey, Ticker Damon, are you a fan? Oh, a fan, a fan of Hector. Okay, interesting. Uh, all right, so uh, next up, oh, the classic, the uh, the the one that is the most uh, that I associate probably most with uh, with my childhood. Um, <clears throat> the Would you like to play a game himself, uh, Whopper or Joshua? Joshua, yeah. Yeah, uh, from War Games. My my external hard drive actually is called the Whopper. Is it? That's where I, where I store. Well, the everything. Whopper is yeah. the 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 mainframe, right? But it really is mm -hmm. the spirit of Joshua. The that's spirit in there. of Joshua. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's, uh, that's the thinking part. That is the the thinking part is Joshua. Yeah. Um, and when we bring those two things together, it just means a global thermal nuclear war for us all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, there's not a lot to say about this. It's what, one of the things that's fun about it is the old, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but the old red man tobacco chewing general. <laughs> like, yeah. He's, oh, he's, who is that? He doesn't dude? even want to, he doesn't even want to hear the story. He just, he, he's mm -hmm. against this from the beginning as we all should be basically. Uh, yeah. And he has that. Uh, yeah. It was like, um, oh, what, uh, Barry Corbin is yeah, the guy. Barry Corbin. Fantastic and, um, performance. And I Barry. can't, he's got that. He's got a kick-ass line where he's like, uh, I think I can, you know, safely say that your, you know, your technology sucks or whatever it is. And, Barry Corbin. Um, Shit, I'd piss on a spark plug if I thought it'd do any good. He's a fantastic <laughs> redneck general in the film. So yep. 
This isn't, uh, sadly, this isn't a list of fantastic redneck generals, but I just, correct. I, we haven't talked much about hold war on, games let me before. Add, so let I me add to... that. Let me quick add uh, <laughs> top five redneck generals that we can do a show on. I, <laughs> Barry would be an elite group. Yeah. Um, and, and it's fun watching Dabney Coleman, too, because he's got to play uh, the more reasonable guy, he, which is unusual for him. He usually, mm-hmm. if you stick Dabney in the room with a bunch of other actors, he's the over-the-top crazy one and it's fun when he isn't like his his diplomatic he has to keep it diplomatic with this general and all these other people and it's hard for him to do so because he's the smartest guy in the room Mm -hmm. coleman's great in it john wood's great in it matthew broderick and ellie sheedy are adorable and we all wish we could be them and live their lives and have their bedrooms and their computer setups and their workout routines the whole thing is this awesome fantasy for kids our age at the time but the nightmare, of course, and the the exciting part, and it's really amazing when you think about what this movie is, how it takes something virtual and never shows you something real ever. And because of this great war room set that they've created, this sort of mission control center of this computer, uh, we're, we buy into all of it, never actually mm-hmm. seeing any of it. it the, the opening scene in the missile silo with, with um, Michael Madsen and John Spencer is one of the best openings to any movie ever. It yeah. just it drives home the point of what you're about to see in a really great way. And it, it shows how we're not prepared, or at least 50% of us are not prepared to deal with the reality of the world that we've created. And that's what the movie's ultimately about. Joshua is just like a typical AI that talks to you. He's got a friendly, nice voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's friendly enough and wants to help, but it he has his own strategic ideas because he's a computer about how things should go. And that's terrifying. And the right. lesson that has to be taught to him the hard way is tough and all of our lives as we know them whether we live through the apocalypse or not are relying on it learning this lesson that's that's scary and our our plucky young hero figures out how to do it yeah in this case in this case uh whopper joshua isn't uh isn't evil it's just it's just cold and calculating uh, and almost and and what the movie i think posits is it's sort of in a childlike manner it is that black and white sort of childlike that's the scariest, and needs to but learn. that's the scariest thing about these ais in repeatedly well, yeah, yeah. is their their childlike emotional the absence of emotion or their emotional immaturity when they get yeah. horny or whatever, whatever it is, yeah, or you get or jealous. A lot of times of, it's jealous. Yeah. Or they're in charge of world war. The simplicity and the childlike way with which they view things is dangerous. That's a, yeah, that's a repeated theme. And Joshua, Joshua really is a child. He's, he's this recreate. He's this computerized recreation of a mad scientist's lost child. That's so tragic and sad. Mm-hmm. And also repeats itself later in interesting ways. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, uh, so hey, Tickertainment Trend Tracker, what do you think of? Yeah, what do you think of Tron? Okay. Yeah. Oh. Jeez. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, no, I get that. I get that. I get that. Yeah. 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 So, but Tron. Um, Tron you know, is the, a loaded subject for. AI, yeah, so. I guess I didn't. I. I. Uh, I would not have asked about tron frankly uh, no offense 
Ticketainment, but I, uh, but uh, no, Sean, uh, it, it, next up, uh, the the Master Control Program. Is that what it is? Master Control Program? Mm-hmm. The MCP? Yeah, uh, yeah MCP. Um, I was like on the fly going, wait, do I know what MCP stands for again off the top of my head? Master yeah, Master Control Program. Um, and, or uh, you have, uh, or Clue. Um, well, in Tron Legacy, yeah, I mean, Clue, Tron Legacy, it's Clue. Yeah, it's uh, well, Clue um, is another artificial intelligence that causes yeah. problems in in the world inside our computers. Um, so I wanted to talk about both of them, but it's it's hard. We're running out mm-hmm. of time, and we have so many things on our list. Uh, if you've seen Tron, you know what we're talking about. The Master Control Program, actually, it's it the, the thing that was wonderful about Tron, and the reason it holds up is because of those all the early fantasy films about computing. War Games and Tron, it's nice that they're right next to each other like this. I have the distinction of taking the computer part of it very seriously. So Tron is nothing but a silly Disney animated fantasy, but how people interact with programs and how programs function within uh, network computing is is shown in a in in the way that it actually works and they built this fantasy story off of that so it's not just oh i spilled pepsi on my computer and now my computer has its own personality and is trying to get me and my next door neighbor together in it as a couple right. those are fun or what's the worst one superman 3 probably has the worst computer nonsense in it of any film from that era where which we won't get into superman 3 but it, but it, terrible. The, the computing is mm-hmm. absent. Computers, just another magical thing to be either our enemy or our friend. It's not. Right. Tron really shows you the workings inside a computer and how, you know, the programs have feelings and stuff. That's probably not true. But Master Control's base, Master Control wants to be in control of everything. It's, it's not its fault. It was designed to, to feel that way and to have that agenda. And so it's gobbling up computer freedom essentially is what's at Mm -hmm. stake and our heroes of course our heroes is a great sort of anarchist and let's let these let's create this crazy stuff in a lab and let's see what happens and he's sent on this mission to face this thing down of course in the end he needs help of a couple of programs to do it most notably tron the 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 Tron-like character that our hero creates, name is Clue. We get to spend some time with him on a mission early in the film. Clue, when we meet him again in the film's sequel, some however many 30s-whatever years later, his job was to create a perfect utopian system, basically. And, of course, Clue does his best at that. He breaks from his own programmer and does his best to do that. What he ends up creating is something of a dystopian dictatorship which the film demonstrates has to be taken down but there's this glorious moment where at the end of the film and it makes the film in my opinion i think tron legacy is a spectacular sequel i really do it's just it's got some corniness in it but it's got it has this moment where clue is despite the fact that he's the most powerful thing in this world by far he's looking at his creator and begging him to understand please understand this is what you wanted me to do and Mm -hmm. bridges character um flynn 
has so much sympathy, like he would for your child who's gone wrong somehow, on his face, I know, as you understood it. Like, it's this wonderful connection between these two things that I think, and it, it, the lines certainly demonstrate it, but it, between the lines, the way they're looking at each other, and it's the same actor doing both parts, which is really magical. Mm-hmm. Clue, Clue goes wrong, and he perverts Tron into being a like a sort of an assassin that's at his command, and he just takes everything we loved from the first film and turns it into this gross, gross, like, version of our own world, and it's all so horrible. Right. But there are good byproducts of it. And there's a chance for a, a connection between worlds and, and a happy ending that I appreciate. So those two AIs are, they're very different. They they're telling different kinds of stories in the same world, but right. But very, but MCP, we know he's bad because he comes right out and says he is clue. Yeah. We know he's bad because we see him order all these heinous things to happen. But, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't know he's bad. And that's such a hard thing when that comes crashing down around him to experience with him. And I love that about it. So, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up is uh, the AI that we're going to be talking about is, let me find it here. It is the autonomous reconnaissance intelligence integration analyst <laughs> or Aria from the movie uh, Eagle Eye. <laughs> What's great about Eagle Eye, and we won't spend too much time on Eagle Eye because it's not that great, but what's really cool about it is that it takes – the fact that there's an AI behind this actually takes the whole movie to find out, so it's kind of a huge spoiler to even call her out by name. She has Juliana Moore's meanest, like on a bad, bad day sort of voice. She performs this character. And our heroes, played by Michelle Moynihan and, and Shia LaBeouf, are basically drawn into this conspiracy. But the thing that's great about the movie is it uses all of our current technology, all of our current technology. And it's the movies like any movie about technology, it's getting dated here with each passing year, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, it's still fresh enough that if you go back and watch it now, you just see the way your phone, the, the traffic surveillance, everything in the world, the GPS on your car, if turned against you deliberately, would be inescapable in our common right. world. And that's the, in the end, that's the lesson and the horror of Eagle Eye. And it, it, I love the way it does that. There's this great scene where they're in a Best Buy or a Circuit City or something, I don't know, whatever it was back then. And they're standing in this room, one of those TV showrooms where there's just TV screens everywhere. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's such a great, it's, it's basic, but it's such a great visual metaphor for, what our lives are now and how we've created our lives to be. And if those things were not innocuous, if they really did have their own agenda and their own personality, I mean, what would we be to them? Not much. And it's, it's, it's a terrifying thought and Eagle Eye, um, some really competent, decent commercial film directors made a really great chase movie out of those ideas. So that's Eagle Eye. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, all right. Uh, next up is let's see. Um, it, oh yeah, it is uh, Resident Evil, the Resident Evil series. That's weird, though, so this the AI wasn't talking during that version of the ticker tape. Uh, sometimes, I, well, I think in this case, probably uh, it like it knows how bad the Resident Evil movies are. <laughs> uh, is is that is that right? 
Yeah, it knows how bad the Resident yeah. Evil movies are. We but, all know. You know Anyone yeah. who's seen a Resident Evil movie knows how bad they are. Correct. Um, uh, but the Red Queen, the Red Queen is the uh, the supercomputer that but, runs everything for the Umbrella Corporation. Yeah, but the only reason they work as movies at all, or they, certainly the only reason that they are still this long-ass franchise of movies is because that the ideas from the game are powerful and they're worthy of being reworked time and time again and because we humans are stupid and we keep going to see them and so they keep making more of them mm-hmm. um but at the heart of it it really is a bad take all the mutants and all these horrible awful creations that we have to fight and take all the kung fu out of it it really is a fight between people fighting for their autonomy against an artificial intelligence that wants to experiment on us, that just sees us as lab rats. The more, that's a scary idea. The problem with the, setting aside the games, uh, gamers, please don't get angry with me. I'm only talking about the movies. The problem with the movies is the same problem with Skynet. They, the more they personify that AI, the stupider it gets. The more there's an actor doing it, like Helena Bonham Carter in Terminator Salvation is basically speaking for Skynet. I get how that makes it easier to have the battle be more direct, but it also takes the scariness away. It just takes it right, right. away when you right. give it a face and a voice and normal feelings. That's not interesting. And when you're talking about a centralized AI anyway, and resident evil repeatedly breaks that rule and just gets stupider and stupider. So mm -hmm. it's, so it's not scary. It's relentlessly violent and awful, but you're never really scared. You just, you just sort of bombarded with noise and nonsense. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, uh, the ticker train, uh, the ticker just asked if it's, uh, is it scarier if the face is Johnny Depp's? No. Um, so yeah. And that uh, our next film is uh transcendence. You know what? I'm going to take that back. It is scarier when the face is Johnny Depp's. Yeah. So, um, yeah. it is, it, it is scarier because, and I'll tell you why, because this movie knows it, it's putting a face on it right from the start. And more importantly, we meet this guy as a person. And when his essence gets put into this computer and the computer starts taking over the world, the fact that the person who most loves him on Earth is sort of his willing conspirator is scarier and is, and is trickier. It makes the whole thing sort of tricky. Transcendence was the directorial debut of... Christopher Nolan's uh, Oscar winning for certain nominated cinematographer, Wally Feister. And it's got an interesting story, but it, it kind of is given the a level $80 million budget treatment. And the film is, isn't enough. It's not a popular enough attainment. It's unpleasant. It really shows how awful it is because you basically have the government, you've got these, anti-technological terrorists, essentially. Like, there's no mm -hmm. good guys in the story. It's really, really difficult to wrap your brain around 
what's going on from a moral standpoint, even though you understand the threat of the AI taking over our autonomy, it literally takes over people's bodies in a zombie-like way to do its bidding. It's very, very spooky. Transcendence isn't so bad. I, it's hard to recommend because everybody who's seen it seems to think it sucks, but mm -hmm. but I don't think it sucks. I actually think that's a pretty well-told story. It's just... It, it doesn't have any rah-rah moments in it. It really doesn't have any crowd-pleasingness to it. And I really think right. that's the problem with it. But that's also its strength. It, it, it takes these themes and ideas on directly in a way that feels very plausible and believable, which is not an easy thing to pull off. Sure. Um... <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, and yeah. We'll move on to uh, the black hole because it, it knows uh, ticker knows that that's one of my favorites. Is that, yep, yeah. It knows that I love Maximilian in the black hole. Uh, now um, protect me from Maximilian. <laughs> Maximilian, protect me. It's weird, man. It's one of the great weird things in all the movies. Is there's a lot mm -hmm. of weird things in black hole one thing our hero's mission is to search for something called habitable life which is like saying we're on a search for liquid orange juice it's a weird <laughs> way to put yeah. it's not wrong so much as it's really redundant and a weird way to say it um yeah. it's a matter of fact it's the weirdest way to say it also if you're going to turn on a spotlight on something naming it the micro beam does not make it sound more impressive it makes you sound stupid when you say it <laughs> black hole's full of that kind of stuff it's got this giant most inefficient cathedral like spaceship with these <laughs> massive domes full of oxygen presumably which isn't how you would do this space at all but stunning, yeah it's a stunning looking ship it's just it's the most inefficient glass. the most inefficient spaceship in the history of movies i know Oh my god, it so, makes me so happy. I but love it's the black beautiful. It's also so one of the much. most detailed models oh, and kind of mm -hmm. amazing designs in movies too. So it it has its pluses. But one of the things it has is a bunch of robots. The By far the least annoying of which is this big psychotic red floating razor blade spinning demon, we'll say. Yeah. Fall, fallen what, what what's an angel that falls to to hell demon uh yeah well, technically it's, it's Ar a, archangel uh a um and it and then even weirder it's it was written with this name maximilian and then the most famous maximilian actor in hollywood was cast as his weird professor so you've got these two maximilians in it mm -hmm. which is uh, I guess they're saying is a coincidence, which it's just hard for me to believe, <laughs> I but yeah. I guess it's true. Um, it's awesome. Maximilian's uh, everything we said about Hector times 10. He's not quite as horny as Hector, not as horny, well, but he's a yeah, little not... horny and he's, he's this floating non-speaking. What's it thinking? What's it doing? Mm -hmm. And then there are, and I remember there, there's even a couple shots where it'll like cut to uh, like Robert Forster and then cuts to Maximilian as if, you yeah. know, like as if you're going to get an expression. And it's like, and you're right. You're like, I don't how what am I supposed to know what that's, you know, and you just personify this robot, this, you know, Maximilian, this, yep. this 
And yeah, and you're like, and you're, the design of Maximilian and the sound design, the sound its head makes when it turns its head. Yeah, it it sounds yeah. big and has weight, and it sounds powerful and scary. It's hard to explain, but really, really well realized on screen. It also doesn't walk; it floats around, and that's yeah. You never see the wires or feel the artificiality of that. It's it's really, really a magical character in a really dumb but very imaginative movie, mm-hmm. and but it really is dumb. Thirty of the worst lines ever read out loud by actors are, are in the black hole. One of which is applicable here. It's, um, it's my black, it's my black hole. It's not Lunch Timothy, box. which bottoms brothers in black hole, Joseph. Yes. Joseph bottom yes. says to Vincent, who I think is the true villain of the black hole. Um, could very well be. Well, I think Bob. he is. He is. He, I I've never wanted to punch a robot in the face more repeatedly than, than Vincent. And then, but Joseph Bottoms widely tells him when he's staring Maximilian down, he says, hey, when you're face-to-face with a trash compactor, you back off. And I think we all could learn a lesson from that terrible, terrible line from the back black hole. Oh, Maximilian's so God. evil, he literally goes to hell at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, That's sort of a spoiler yeah, for black hole, but I'm not sure that it really is. I think, I think you need no, to it's... understand that that's where this thing is headed before you can really give it its proper due. Yeah. Um, you know what, uh, you know what artificial intelligence I could have probably used less talking from hmm. and that, Hey, I'm right here. It is Ultron in Avengers age of Ultron. Oh yeah. The most talkative artificial intelligence on our list. Indeed. Ultron never shuts the F up ever. Which I guess makes sense considering its creator is supposed to be Tony Stark. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's got, yeah. there's a lot to like about it because there's a lot of ideas that come out of it. The creation of vision and the whole way they sort of set it up. But in the end, what you have is one of the most obnoxious talky villains in modern films that I can think of. I, in right. it, in it, in the lesson again is, uh, Give it the voice of a famous person and give it shit tons of lines and the scary goes right out the window. And that was never, even though Ultron causes a lot of damage and is a a threat in the film that drives the film around along adequately. I don't think it's like a terrible movie or anything, but just shut up. Nobody cares what you think. (laughs) I mean, I just shut up. Yep. (laughs) Do do stuff. Don't just keep yapping at us. I I, I Mm -hmm. find it. I find it super annoying, and that's that's what I remember most about Ultron. So, yep. um, going back into that sort of the uh, the untalking killing machine, mm. uh, we are going to we're staying in the Marvel universe, sort of going into the Sony Marvel universe, but uh, X Men: Days of Future Past and the uh, the unveiling of the Sentinels. Well, we all ha- it's a pick your flavor kind of thing, but the Sentinels, I think, are wholly more effective than Ultron precisely because they're unspeaking killing machines. But more, it's the lengths that the film goes, especially in its opening sequences. First, it does a really nice job of showing us uh, a horrible future that that the rest of the X-Men films to date hadn't 
explored anything like what we're seeing, which was scary and a little off-putting. And then we launch right into what is this, I think, is the best mutant action sequence in all of the X-Men movies, where these Sentinels come raining down on our heroes, they find their hiding spot, and they they are fighting, they're fighting just long enough to survive the attack. They, there's no chance that they can win that a direct confrontation with these things. That shows how powerful they are, how single-minded they are, and it, it finally, after I don't know how many X-Men movies, it gives us a chance to see the X-Men, which you just don't see this in the other films, functioning as a team, using these powers in extremely unique ways, in tandem to fight and hold these things off, which all we really get in the other X-Men films, even the good ones, even at like X-Men 2, is cross-cutting mutant versus mutant poundy action, which is duller right. than doornails. And th th that sequence with Blink and Iceman and, and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I want to say Colossus because we were talking about that, but that isn't right. Uh, in, uh, no. It, um, or is it? Um, Are there multiple uh, Colossuses on our list today? Look, yeah, it is Colossus. Yeah. yeah, it is Colossus. Yeah. Yeah, the point he, is that that sequence is, the, it never is better than that in the X-Men movies ever. The opening of that sequence is amazing, and it's because the bad guys are so bad. It's because it's a losing fight from the start and our heroes know it if they're biting for time and they're doing the best they can and they're all working together and we're not just switching to different rooms in the hideout while one guy fights one sentinel that's the downfall to me of the x-men movies is they're either that sort of action sequence or worse they're just a bunch of mutants sitting around in a room with nothing at stake just doing stuff which is yeah. just really stupid and dull um, I love it. I love seeing that new generation of mutants when the old mutants show up and, and you see your worlds coming together. You know what I mean? Uh, recent mm -hmm. Spider-Man gave us some of that. That's shockingly enjoyable. You know, you, you think about it and you can know it's going to happen and you're like, oh, okay, when you see it and you feel it and you feel them feel it, it's powerful. And they're, it's all our, it's the best we got against these horrible things. And the only way to fix this is to make them never exist because fighting them one on one isn't happening. And the right. film the film demonstrates that in an extremely effective way. Yeah. So I I terrified of the Sentinels compared to something like Ultron. Ultron he does sort of does a lot of stuff, but it just just whatever. It's like, yeah, it's no, like I, agree. I mean, it's literally if you take the villain, it's, it is literally if you take the villain from Pretty in Pink and make him an evil robot in a superhero <laughs> movie, and you and that's what you got. And you got yeah. you got to listen to this asshole just yap at you for two and a half hours, and it's 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 not something I want to relive very often. So. <laughs> not to oh. compare and contrast, but this is no, our superhero no, no. section of the. Yeah, no, I know. Um, all right. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I bet yeah. Uh Ticker's talking about how much uh how much uh, he it I'm not I don't I don't have a gender on the tickertainment, but really enjoy tickertainment identifies yet, but yeah, uh really um really enjoys Samantha from her uh <laughs> the movie her. All right. Her's yeah. an interesting, you know, AI fable. 
And it's a very impressive movie for what it gets done just with voiceover work. And it's a very interesting performance from definitely from Joaquin Phoenix, but also from Scarlett Johansson with doing the voiceover for this character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially since Scarlett was really was brought in after the fact, she wasn't even the original voice actor for this part. Right. So they didn't really ever interact together. It's magical how much connection there are between our two heroes, but Samantha, man, Joel, Samantha's scary when you really think about what's going on. No, it is. Yeah. It's it's not, um, it's not a scary movie. It's a, it's a romance. It's a, it's a fable. It's a bedtime story of a movie. So I don't, we don't want to give you the impression that this is some bad seed, you know, Hector kind of situation. It isn't. It is about a artificial intelligence and a lonely, weird guy who really do fall in love with each other. But, but it really does show that AI is is out of our control. And and when when we give up, you know, there's a metaphor in there about giving over control to another person of your heart, of your emotions, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's lovely, but on a larger geopolitical scale, which the film doesn't really deal with, but it gives us hints, you know, she, Samantha at the end, when she just like, yeah, Oh, I went away and she's telling these weird stories mm-hmm. and they become less and less, they become more and more inhuman and harder to relate to. And, and it just shows you why this relationship's never going to work. <laughs> and, but more, it's just like, what have we done? Where did they go? What what have we created here? You know, the, the story ends where supposedly they just went off on their own to evolve further out of our uh, custodianship. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. I don't. I don't. I don't trust those personal <laughs> no. AIs like as far as I can throw them, and I can't throw them very far at this point. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh so this not ne- so this next film i'm or next ai i i don't Same know problem. why it's uh, yeah, I, yeah i get it but i don't know why you have a little kid on uh, david from artificial intelligence from ai you can hardly do a show on artificial intelligence and not talk about artificial intelligence yeah um yeah, yeah david is he a cute boy who just wants to be loved and become real or is he a murderous thug when confronted with what he is actually just destroys himself there's a terrifying (laughs) scene which i don't think a lot of people shrug it off (laughs) ai i really do think is one of the world's most misunderstood movie you can go back to our for a deeper analysis you can go back to our steven spielberg uh believe it's in part one of our steven spielberg episode Right. Yes, I think it's part one. Um, it's it's he's he's not scary because he's not exactly a threat to us, but he's in a lot of ways he's sort of a weird he's sort of a weird threat to everything. And the thing that's scariest about him is that it it's this great metaphor for parenthood really you bring Mm -hmm. this thing into the world you make it completely beholden to you and then it doesn't do what you think it's gonna do you know i i see these and i'm these are well-meaning and this is a good organization so i don't want to rip on it but i see these commercials on tv and this gets a little dark but they're the the uh, you know the adopt a teenager commercials and they all show these 
moments of love and acceptance and catharsis where the kids, one of them is, you know, can I call you mom or whatever? Okay. That melts the heart. Right. Yeah. But I can tell you, and teenage kids need to be adopted and need to be loved. Like any age kid that's not part of a actual family needs your care. But when you're taking them on, it's not some slow build to this wonderful moment where you connect and love each other and warmly their kids who've been through the system are in trouble emotionally and psychologically and there's yeah you're taking on a ton when you take that on and the payoff isn't some simple hollywood thing and this robot who they decide wrongly as we see demonstrated by the film itself the and frankly, their real kid also <laughs> demonstrates it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they just you just can't control what they are, and it isn't this storybook thing. It's this unpredictable, crazy thing that's going to be the challenge and the most meaningful thing that you ever do in your life. And when you flip the "I love you" unconditionally switch on something, what's your responsibility to that thing? It's terrifying. Yep. And when you cut it loose. What are you sending out into the world? And it, I, AI is an incredible film that really takes on all these things in an extremely clever way. It's got some dumb crap in it that undermines it, but mostly it's, it's a harrowing, terrible story. And mm -hmm. David, David's I'm unique, I'm special, murderous rant is one of the scariest things, I think, in all the movies. It's really scary, not just in that he's killing something that's just like him, but mm -hmm. it's why he's doing it is spooky. And our reaction in the, in the reaction of the late, great William Hurt, who comes into the room after this, like, like he dropped a glass of milk on the kitchen floor, is equally terrifying that whole sequence just makes me shudder when i think about it so david samantha they may seem like our plucky heroes but i don't trust them at all <laughs> and i right. don't want to live in a world with things like them so that's that's why they made it all right here. um all right uh, next up is uh is ex machina and uh nope. and of course uh ava who's uh, sort of like Sort of like the last two here, trying to discover a little bit about who, what, what it, what it means to be uh, artificial intelligence. And well, it's um, it's a really rich gajillionaire, and his mountain hideaway uh, gives an award to one of his employees, a, a code programmer at one of his million tech think tank places, uh, played by Dunhall Gleason. Great performance by him, and great performance as the bajillionaire by oscar isaac and he brings him out to this special spot and and gives him the assignment i've created artificial intelligence i want you to examine it and decide you know what it is but he wants him to as an outsider mm -hmm. to break down the the uh basically define it what he's yeah. created yeah and the the uh Artificial Intelligence, Ava is played by um, Alicia Vikander. So it's really, really good actors in a really well-designed film. The film is shot in a really terrible way, which undermines it somewhat. Um, 
the director, uh, what's his name? Alex Garland. Alex Garland. Uh, wanted it to feel like it was shot through surveillance cameras. So he's got this weird digital noisy sort of film that he shot. But the problem is they shot it in widescreen. They made all this detailed set design in this character. And so they everything they did in the movie didn't support the surveillance video look that they chose. And it's really does for me, we're talking about cinematography and the preamble to this, it brings the movie down somewhat, but Ava and Vikander and Gleason's interactions and, and uh, equally compelling are Gleason's and, and Oscar Isaac's interactions in this film are, are stunning. And the ideas on display in it are kind of amazing. And what's threatening um, about the AI in this film and, and what's threatening about our interactions with AI, which is coming up here, you know, how we treat these things mm -hmm. that we create and how we view them and how we place our own limitations on them is, is, is just as horrific as their sort of taking the idea of them taking over our world, which is also scary. So it's got both things in it. And I, I don't want to get into what, you know, the, the second act or the, the certainly the third act of Ex Machina, mm -hmm. you should watch it. It's got a lot of great surprises in it, but, but it's yeah. Ava's, Ava's unique in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the trick that she plays on us is, is, interesting and, and it's a little different than what we're used to. So that's why the film I think works. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I dig uh, ex machina pretty good. Yeah. Um, at, it's a <laughs> intimate sci-fi movie sure. about ideas. I yeah. Mean, yeah, absolutely. Right. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ticker. We can, um, Ticker asked if we would talk about forbidden planet and the day the earth stood still kind of together. Uh, sure. Talking about the great machine and Gort. Um, well, so. Forbidden Planet is just a remake of the Shakespeare's The Tempest in space. It mm -hmm. doesn't have all the froofy Shakespearean language, but it basically shares the same plot. Um, there is a very powerful intelligence uh, that runs things on this planet in this little installation, and it's sort of terrified of being left alone. And so it's there's this scared sort of empty nest idea that these strapping young jumpsuited space explorers show up on this planet and he's got this sort of virginal innocent daughter who's going to be corrupted by these guys as really a part of how nature and relationships work in the world and the response that it has is rather extreme and that's sort of why it's and more so forbidden planet the response it has is subconscious so it's it's our dream world. It's our subconscious reaching mm -hmm. out and doing stuff when we even really are, aren't really aware that we're doing it. it. It's it's just manifesting our fear out into the world in very in very real awful ways. So I, it's an interesting movie in that way. It's it look it's got Robbie the robot carrying a hot chick. It looks mm -hmm. silly, but it and it is silly. But it's something more, too. So Forbidden Planet's really, really interesting. And, of course, Day the Earth Stood Still. We're talking about Gort. And Gort's scary in both versions of Day the Earth Stood Still because he's, in the one, he's just this big mammoth thing that can is in, indestructible and can kill you. Yeah. And 
you know, and that's scary enough when you've got some interplanetary coalition saying, hey, humans, we've decided you suck and this is your last chance to carry on. Or that we're going to destroy you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Gort is basically my body man and don't mess with him and don't try and go on the ship. Um, but Gort's intimidating. It's an intimidating, simple design and it's, it's single-minded simplicity. We talked about the Sentinels. It's really just another version of that idea that's very, very powerful. In in the remake, Keanu Barada Nikto, Gort is literally the thing that brings our doom. It's it's nothing like us. It's made up of pure silicon. It, it it's just as single-minded as Gort in the original, but it it it's the thing that that exterminates us and wipes us off earth forever. And that until it isn't is very powerful and interesting in that film. So it Gort's scary, but Gort's Gort is scary in that, you know, he's scary because of what we don't know about him. What's he thinking? Why is he doing what he's doing? I mean, it's spooky. Gort is a Gort is a great precursor to Maximilian. Yeah. He's a big, scary automaton. And yeah. and, uh, and and Forbidden Planet, Black Hole. These are all variations on a kind of movie too, which I think is yeah. worth pointing out. Uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea too is not sci-fi per se, but also falls into that same category. Those are interesting stories about the rogue madman going it alone and what they're willing to do to get their revenge on the rest of the world is interesting mm-hmm. stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, we actually are going to talk about two Star Trek films here. Uh, first one is uh, the, is uh, V'ger uh, uh, from the, from the first Star Trek, the motion picture. Well, V'ger will uh, be easy uh, to talk about because we, I won't spoil what he is for. If some of you haven't seen that somehow the first Star Trek movie, because it is, mm-hmm. it is quite a reveal when you find out, it, but it's a great, it, it's maybe the best. It, that, that reveal is pretty great. That's I remember. I, yeah, don't remember so I, don't, I don't remember loving the first movie very much, but I remember that. I remember the reveal. Well, the thing that's neat about it is the scale of it. It's this massive, huge cloud that contains this ungodly big mechanized Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. So again, it's on this, it turns out, you don't really know what it is to start, but Mm -hmm. as we interact with it more, it turns out it has a rather childish idea of itself. But how do we stop this thing? It literally goes through the universe it's exploring just like us, but its way of cataloging its experiences just to vaporize everything it sees and then recode it mechanically as stored unanimate memories, data memories in its system. And it will do that. It's done that to entire planets and it's done that to entire space stations. And, and it doesn't think much of it. Right. What, what, what would we think about when we we you know when we step on an anthill it's that idea the thing it's not that it's evil it's that it has no real concept or no value for any single carbon life form that's that's scary and there's a lot to deal with that's big sci-fi stuff that's what the first star trek movie was trying to do is trying Mm -hmm. to be more like 2001 than the conventional Star Trek episode. And then, yeah, Star Trek of the TV series. And then you're right. going to bring, and I think, me after talking to my friend, I think the next 
the 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 great threat to a modern Star Trek is the the Borg collective, of course, but they're mm-hmm. they're mostly organic, so I don't think they technically count. They were on the list, yeah, and they're it, interesting it, it, to talk about. And if they do count, it's because they're a hive mind and they're yeah. they're literally networked together. That's what's scary about them together. They are essentially a collective computer network as we think yep. of it. It's but your your uniqueness will become part of our but they're uh, mostly they're mostly yeah. people. They're not they're mostly people. They're they're only about a third artificial, so they kind of don't count. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Agree and when with I that say ticker? people, I mean yeah. Star Trek esque humanoids. We won't get into that, but right, right. They all yeah, basically uh, have legs and arms and hands and heads, just like everybody yeah. in Star Trek. Correct, correct. Um, yeah. So next up in oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I that's different hadn't heard that before um all right so next up uh is uh the matrix um i don't know that we need to speak too much about matrix and agent smith because uh we may have covered it in previous uh episodes (laughs) Um, well yeah and we have and agent smith while he is ostensibly the scariest character in it the matrix is loaded with in the same way Tron is really with programs that have different purposes and be created for different reasons. And those Mm -hmm. purposes are their whole thing. And they may seem like wise sage old women, or they may seem like, you know, bespectacled shaded evil government agents, but they all have jobs to do essentially. Right. And that's that single mindedness. And I think if you, this doesn't really come out in the Matrix movies, but if you watch the Animatrix movies, we see how we, in a very clever way, you see how we brought about our own doom, basically, when we created these things. So this, how humans really are very much responsible for our our initial inability to live in peace with artificial intelligence and, and why artificial intelligence response was to enslave us because they were left with precious little other options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yet they enslave us and don't just exterminate us because they need us. And, and we, as the film sort of demonstrates, we need them. And that's, that's complicated stuff. The matrix really, really digs deep into this stuff, you know? So, you know, when you Google scariest AI, you get agent Smith, but agent Smith, while he's the personification of that single-minded mission programmed thing given power and gone wrong, he's still just a program who has been given a job to do a thing and is doing it the best way he knows how, just like Clue, Mm -hmm. just like a lot of these things. And the way to defeat him, which is the most brilliant thing about the Matrix, and it is a pretty big spoiler alert for it, but... The way to defeat him is to take away his objective and to make his programming obsolete. It's not to grow more powerful than him, which proves impractical and if not impossible. It literally is to figure out what it is it is trying to achieve and let it achieve it. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is unlike a final showdown we've probably ever seen in movies before, which is what makes it so cool. Yeah. Because yeah, you have to, uh, you you have to spend, the, you have to go through the effort of fighting it enough so that it doesn't really get that you're tricking it into letting it win. 
which right. is really very enjoyable for me, at least when I go back and watch the Matrix sequels. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, I, I agree, and cool. um, and yeah, it's very cool. One. All right, Ticker, hit us up with the next one. How can I be of service? Oh, what? Well, oh, okay, you can give us the next the next AI. That... If there's anything we need to know today, please let me know. Uh, okay. Um. All right. Next up is the Alien uh, franchise. And so uh, the, all the different aliens that we have, uh, sorry, all the different aliens, all the different AIs we have in the Alien series, you know, from Ash to Bishop to, to Call to David, um, you know, there's uh, lots of different AIs in there. Um, well, with, they're, all, uh, they're all manufactured I mean, they're androids. All, yeah they're they're all they're all yeah they're all androids uh to i guess given to us for different effects i guess is where i'm going you know well they serve different story elements but they all are a threat one way or another to us throughout yeah um even bishop even bishop i mean he is a he's he's a He's a red herring, as it turns out, but it wouldn't work if he wasn't a threat to us. Even even Call, who is probably the most level-headed and emotionally mature character in her particular film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, David is really super awful, as it turns out. I guess I don't want to <laughs> spoil those, uh... but... He, yeah, he evolves in completely the wrong way. I mean, maybe you can make a case for David, but I don't know. Uh, it it leads into what I think are more interesting characters to talk about, which should be the replicants, which are next on our list, right, Ticker? Uh, yes, that is. Uh, uh, yes, according to the Ticker, yes. That is also, the, androids sure, created yeah. by us that look, feel human, that do jobs that we don't want to do. They both In both cases, they're essentially a slave race. They're tools of the worst, the, the not so great parts of our humanity. Um, and they both share this, but the replicants in particular have this because their lifespans are so short that their emotional maturity and their emotional instability is scary. And they're incredibly intelligent and incredibly powerful and incredibly ruthless compared to us. Yeah. But they're also emotionally so childlike and that's the part. It's not the other stuff. It's not that they're the sentinels. It's not that they're unstoppable. The part yeah. that's scary about them is that they're they're just like little babies emotionally who are reacting to stuff that we dealt with and got over in sort of kindergarten that they're not allowed to feel or deal with or develop. And because of that, yeah. Because of that, when we look at them, we're seeing a sort of unstoppable, powerful child. And that is, that's what gives them their humanity, for lack of a better word, when we're watching the films. It's what, it's what eventually, you know, it it peaks through all these times and is scary, but it eventually makes us sympathize with them and understand them in a way that you don't think the film's going to make you understand them in that way. And it does. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be talking more about Blade Runner in the coming weeks. We'll really, really get into this. This idea mm-hmm. of artificial intelligence as human slavery, and the how that horrific nature really is. And Blade Runner does this better than any of them. It's the eyes 
the eyes always staring back at you, the close-up of the eyes, the eyes with the weird reflections in them. It's all about mm -hmm. the eyes in that film, and it's all about reflections because it really is us creating ourselves and then treating ourselves terribly, and the cost, right. the emotional and spiritual cost of that. Yep. is profound and that's it it's a lot to talk about so that and listener you're going to want to tune into those episodes because i think i think you're going to find out whether ryan or i or both of us are we actually human mm. or or are we replicants that's good yeah that's a good question go. but sadly mm -hmm. entirely beside the point I know. Anyway, um, all right. So, uh, all right. Our final one, our final uh, AI that we are going to talk about is, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I see what you're doing there, ticker. Nice. Yeah, they're doing a little uh, wind down, little almost like <laughs> Daisy Daisy action. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, the, it is Hal Nine Thousand from Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Hal 9000, the computer at the in the final chapters of 2001, A Space Odyssey, that is just by far the most human character in the whole film. Part of that is because we spend the whole middle actor with William Sylvester, who's almost inhuman in his like late 60s <laughs> businessman sort of way, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, that weird scene where they're eating the sandwiches on the shuttle on the moon, and he's they're all like well, the way we see it, we're just here to do things the way you want. And uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, I appreciate that very much. It's also... Blah, 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 blah. Yep. <laughs> it, it's... I I hate it. It's And people who watch it, it's one of the things people who hate 2001, which there are a lot of people who do hate mm -hmm. that. Because it's like, God, these people, for all this time, they're not even talking to each other. And the film, from a humanity's aspect doesn't really come to life until this computer shows up which is really strange right um yeah mo well i mean i think a lot of people when they think of of 2001 a space odyssey that's that's all they think of uh, is like oh and there's this computer and there are these guys in space not you know not like they're totally forgetting that there's this giant chunk of the movie before which, we even get yeah. to that which is it's surprising yeah. that the the prehistory part of the film is shockingly short I, people always remember that as a big part of it, but it, 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 it it's it's not. It's it's only the length of a couple of pop songs, really, before really? we're up in space waltzing and everything. Well, and yeah. So, but it, I, yeah, okay, yeah. It, it doesn't it, take that long. Take, I remember it taking a lot longer to it, get to hell, uh, it, and, it, and yeah. It, well, to get to hell, it does because you have to take off from earth and you got to get to the space station. You got to spend some time mm -hmm. in the space station. You got to go from the space station to the moon. You got to land on the moon. It's all the, all the big, it's the big waltz. Uh, who's the composer, the blue Danube that they just keep uh, playing Yeah, over that's again. Uh, Debussy. Yeah. Is it? No. No, no. Isn't it? Isn't, no. did, didn't Claude Debussy? Uh, no, no. He did, he did Claire de Lune, which I guess it could be the same guy, but I don't see how. Uh, Blue Danube. I don't know how to spell it. Danube. Look it up for me. I am. Notice that the tickertainment trend tracker is not being very helpful here. Thank yeah, you, you got to help. Yeah, you got to throw us a wall. Uh, throw uh, throw us a bone there. If it's Debussy, uh, I'll stand corrected. But I feel like that can't be the case. It's Johann Strauss. Strauss. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Strauss. Not even the same country. Certainly not the same style of music. Um. So okay. Da, 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 boop, boop. 
boop, boop. It's all these spaceships dancing with each other. That takes forever. That's interminable, in fact. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And it would have been even more amazing, I think, in 1968. But it's a part people get bored with the movie, get bored with those sequences. I, I think the cavemen, you don't really get bored with them. They're it's all life and death for them. Um, and when it's life and death for our astronaut characters, things get pretty exciting as well. But it's Hal, it's not Hal's, although it, it's, it's his humanity that's scary. That his whole monologue, I'm afraid, Dave, and, 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 Mm -hmm. um, what's the actor's name? Douglas Rain, that calm, pasteurizing voice that he has you know that it would be engineered to make you feel trusting and 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 relaxed uh it's it's amazing confluence of things that come together to really create what's still kind of unequaled as the best and i think scariest because it's the most frail and human ai that we've yet to create in movies um I love, yeah, as it's getting shut down and killed, essentially, it reverting back to its first memories and stuff. It's all of it is so horribly human. You know what I mean? It's whole misunderstanding and it's, it's the way it acts and the way it really believes with its whole heart and it's the way it rationalizes with itself its own actions like it's all there in the thing for us and and we have these two comatose astronauts essentially who again are these plain weird straight spoken personalityless guys Mm -hmm. the way the way hal's actions bring kirdalia's character out of himself to become a although he's threatened certainly and it's scary to bring up uh, this sort of passionate urgent humanity out of him that we have not seen in the film up to that point is is kind of incredible and i'm sure there's some sort of deeper meaning there but again there's a 2001 deep dive coming too yeah yeah there will be yeah there will be dave can we uh, talk about this a moment his whole pleading for his life i'm much yeah. better now <laughs> Yeah. I really am feeling much better. I'm sure you're very angry with me. Like just that it's <laughs> to the sound of Kier's intense breathing as he's on his single minded mm-hmm. march to kill this thing that's killed others. It's a stunning achievement. I mean, it really, it evokes feelings that I think that you're, that the film has not prepared you for at all in a way. And then, of course, it launches you off into Lava Lamp City, and, and then you don't yep. even know what planet you're on anymore. But that's... Correct. But that all-too-human time we spend with the HAL 9000 is, is, is in my opinion, is why that film's still genius. Without that, we would have a very pretentious and preachy tone poem we would have to deal with. There's right. real humanity in that computer and in, and in uh, David Bowman's reaction to it that I love. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. Now, is there a, uh, is there some AI in films that you found scary that we did not talk about? And don't you dare write back and say jinx is scary. Cause uh, there will be, we will have words, That's but true. if there, if there is an AI that we, uh, that we did not cover, 
Uh, feel free to reach out to us on the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook. Uh, ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And uh, the uh, oh my god, the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on YouTube. Which, if you are watching the video version of this, you are already there. Ooh. Like and subscribe it. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, next week, uh, well, we had some more, yeah. So, as Ryan mentioned, we have some fun things coming up, or we have some guests coming up. We're gonna do some, uh, do some. I, I could, I can't tell you exactly what we're doing next week because Ryan and I haven't decided what we're doing next week. We don't have guests next next week, do we? I think we did end up having to have them next week, did either we, way, whether it it's next, next week, week or the week after, we're going to be talking, as we promised a few weeks ago, we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about. World War II mission films yep. with our buddy Brian, who we haven't had on the show for a while, which is really exciting, and our and our buddy Andrew, who was only on the show once, way yep, way Dr. back Maz. at the start of COVID. Yep, Doctor Mary, yeah, it's yeah, one of the re- one of the first shows uh, that we did. Uh, That's right. On, it's going to be very very. I mean, it's weird in this day and age to talk about the fun war movies, so it's a little tone deaf in that <laughs> sure. way, and I apologize for that. But it was a. De- it's in a deliberate attempt to talk about those experiences that we had as kids watching these sort of war films play out and how it formed our relationship mostly with other movies, but also with each other. It's going to be a fun episode, I think. I think so too. Yeah. And And that might be next week. I'll have to check the schedule. Same as Joel. I'm not sure. And again, I can see that our own AI is not being helpful again and bailing us out Yeah. What is the Thanks, point ticker? of you, Ticker? If oh, you're going to boy. be sentient, at least join in and help us, please. Clearly, I have some more work to do on the programming side. I guess for the Tickertainment, I may you may have to take it back to one and and see if and uh, just go all the way back to just regular old Ticker. Um, all right, everybody, we sure do appreciate you coming by and listening to our show this week. And until next week, we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.